Um, and the passage I'm going to read from is going to probably sound really familiar. It's going to be one verse. We're going to spend all our time in one verse, and I think you'll get a kick out of this. Ephesians 6, 18. All right? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to, the, to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I know. I, I just said it. We're going to start a new series. Why in the world am I reading from Ephesians? Well, let me tell you why. I know you're curious. That's why you're here. As we went through Ephesians, and I've been through Ephesians a lot of times. I've read through it a number of times as I've read through the Bible in a year. I've studied from it. I've, I've built doctrinal perspectives because of it. But as we went through Ephesians this time, it became to me something different. It became a book of prayer. I was challenged by that. I was encouraged by that. And so as I, as I thought about, well, what do we do next? Where do we go when I finish Ephesians? I knew that we were going to be looking at it in the summer and, and I needed, needed to know. And, and I was challenged as we were actually, even in the middle of the letter, I was challenged by Paul's intentional uh, uh, proclamation of his prayers and his challenge for us to pray. And it struck me that I needed to grow in my prayer life. I, I needed to grow in my perspectives and my dependence on prayer. So I don't, I don't want you to think that I never prayed before. I, I did pray before. I prayed for you often. I prayed for what God was doing in our church. I prayed for uh, uh, what God was doing through our church and how we're reaching other people. I prayed for my family. I prayed for lost friends and family. I, I prayed. I, I praised God in prayer. I worshiped God. I would stand here and sing often every week, changing words slightly so that I could direct my song the, rather than singing about Jesus so that I could sing to Jesus. So it wasn't that I wasn't praying, but I recognized that I needed to grow in my perspective and in my own prayer life. I think I even shared that with you uh, along through the series as we were as we were dealing with some of Paul's prayers about how struck I was. People he may have never met, never would meet, but he was praying for them. He made a big deal out of it. I mean, the whole letter of Ephesians, if you think about it, the whole letter of Ephesians is a book of prayer, and I had never noticed that before. But immediately he gets done with his introduction, he stops saying who the letter's from and who it's to, and he begins praising God in prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. That's a prayer of praise, a proclamation of God's glory, of adoration and thanksgiving. And as soon as he gets done praising God, he turns and begins asking God for him to demonstrate his power that people might know him experientially. In fact, as you get to the end of chapter 1, it's really difficult to distinguish where Paul quits praying and where Paul begins preaching. Go back and read it. He never really stops praying. He just begins teaching. And really what I think is happening as you read that through, and as I studied it in depth, what I really think is happening is Paul is praying, and he's like, oh, I need to help them understand why I'm praying this. And so he teaches, and so his prayer begins not just to shape what he's asking for these people, but what he's teaching them. And then you come to the close of chapter 3. He doesn't say, oh, let's pray again. He just picks his prayer back up where he left off. 
And he finished that whole doctrinal section of Ephesians really seems to be a prayer emphasized by his teaching of God's gospel message. So he prays and tells us why he's praying what he's praying. But then he turns and he says, now you, Christian, live a life manner or live a life worthy in a manner worthy of the calling you've been given. He didn't say be worthy. He just said live like you are worthy, right? We went through that. And he says some things that really should make us uber dependent upon God. I like that word uber. I don't know if it really means anything. When I put it in word, it didn't understand it. It told me I misspelled it. But we recognize what it means, right? Ultra dependent upon God. I mean, just think of the things he calls us to do. Remember those words that he said. I just can't imagine how in the world we're going to accomplish this. Well, then he comes to the end of chapter 6 and he says, this is what you do. Put on the armor of God. Pick up his sword. That's his word. His armor is his gospel. Put on his gospel. Prepare yourself in it. Relish in it. Just, Just dwell in it. Pick up the sword. It's the scriptures. And then he doesn't give us some big flamboyant thing to do with it. He doesn't say go out and make a big name for yourself or go build big ministries or or go and, and run and make a big name for yourself. He says, pray. And his last point of his last last big idea, just before he signs off and leaves us with this call to, to live in grace and peace, is not to go and make a big name for ourselves, but it's to get on our knees and pray. Oh, I was struck by that. I'm a person who likes to do. Feels really good when I'm productive. As I've become a pastor, it's been very hard for me to learn this, but maybe maybe that's why God led us through Ephesians so that I could learn to run to Him in prayer. You see, and what I recognize, what I, what I sensed is I prayed and sought the Spirit's guidance on where we go. As I sought Him, I felt, I felt Him pushing me, prodding me. Seth, you're not the only one that needs to learn to pray. Pray more. Pray effectively. This church can grow in our, our prayer discipline. And not only could we grow, We need to grow in our prayer discipline. So that's why we're here. Ephesians 6, 18. Being called to prayer. Spending the summer talking about prayer. So that we won't just be marked as a people who love doctrine and who love Scripture. But that we might be called a people who pray. It's a big thing. And an important thing. So before we go any further, (laughs) I don't know any better way to start than to just stop and pray. So pray with me. Well, God, Father, we thank You. Thank You that, that prayer is our opportunity to speak with You and commune with You. Thank You that You've given us this gift No, would you grow us in it? 
Teach us to pray. Help us to, to run to prayer. Father, as we study this summer, would you challenge us to pray? Would you give us reason to pray? Would you, would you strengthen our prayers? Would you help us pray effectively? God, I, I don't want to ask for any simple little things. I don't want, I don't want to ask you to change circumstances situations of our life. I want, Father, for You through our prayers to change us. To grow us in our faith and trust in what You are able to do and what You are doing. To grow us. To move us to a greater and deeper, fuller understanding of Your mission. To shape us into a a, a greater and brighter shining example of who Your Son was and is. God, would You make us look like Him through our prayer. God, through Your Spirit, would You dwell on each of us. Dwell in each of us. Influence us. That this might be the greatest most powerful thing we recognize we can do. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's obvious, I think, from Ephesians that Paul really has a big view of prayer. He has a a high view of it. But it's not just Ephesians that we see prayer being played out in a big way in Scripture. In fact, let me just give you some, some, some statistics, some numbers. There are 650 prayers listed in the Bible. That's across 66 books of the Bible. There's 650 prayers listed. And of those 650, we see 450 answers to prayer. I think, I think that's a prominent position in Scripture, right? I mean, that's a big deal. 650, you do the math, divided across 66. That's a lot of prayer going on. The Bible records Jesus praying 25 different times in His ministry. And in Luke's Gospel, we see that Jesus didn't just pray publicly where it was recorded, but that He often, we don't know that He did it daily, we don't know that He did it at certain times during the week, we just know that often He would go into seclusion to pray. He would remove Himself from the crowds and the people and His followers, and He would get off by Himself and He would pray and He would talk to His Father. Paul, back to him, prays and mentions prayer, encourages others to pray 41 times in his 13 letters that we know he wrote. If you believe that he wrote Hebrews, there's probably some others in there that you could count. But we know for sure he wrote 13. In those 13, he wrote he, he wrote on, mentioned, prayed, or encouraged others to pray 41 times. When Jesus ascended into heaven, his followers were left there and he said, go wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. You know what they did? They went and they waited and they gathered together and prayed. I think that I think that it demonstrates that there's something big about prayer. You know what happened once the Spirit was poured out on that Pentecost morning? The church grows by 3,000 people in one day just like that. All of a sudden it goes from 120 to 3,120. And all of a sudden they, the, the, you just imagine the, the logistics to that. And the structural problems they had. I mean, I'm telling you, this is big going on, right? And all of a sudden, 
uh, it turns. It doesn't tell us that, that they built big buildings and that they, they got together and they, they built structure that would support these people. They, they simply, it simply says this, Acts 2, 42 through 47, that they gathered and they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the apostles, that's prayer, or that's scripture, to the fellowship, that's one another, the breaking of bread, that's the observance and remembrance of communion, or what Jesus Christ did on the cross, it's communion, and to prayer. Prayer has been a vital part of God's people's lives, all the way from Genesis to the end of the book in Revelation. Genesis 4 is the first prayer, and Revelation 22 is the last. All the way through. All the way through. I think what this demonstrates to us is that prayer shouldn't just be important to us. But prayer is important to God. He gave it to us for a reason. He has a purpose for it. It's important to Him. And I'm just thinking that if it's important to Him, we should take it seriously. So we're going to look at this verse today. We're going to talk about what prayer is. We're going to talk about how we pray. We're going to talk about what we should pray for. Uh, and, and several things like that. And then we're going to deal with this all summer long. But I think this this verse gives us a good introduction. Well, prayer, what is it? Let's answer the first question. It's essentially talking with God. It's us communing with God. Um, uh, Wayne Grudem defines it as personal communication with God. That means I or you get to sit down at some point, walk along, do whatever we're doing, and I can sit and have a conversation with the God who said, let there be light. I get to do that. You get to do that. That's a big deal. I can remember, though, <clears throat> my grandmother one time, my, my, my dad's mom, I can remember her telling a story. Or Actually, she didn't tell a story. We were sitting down to dinner. She says, okay, it's time for us to talk to our plates. I was like, what? Talk to our plates? What are you talking about? And she said, well, your grandfather and my dad's dad, when he was younger, he thought people would just bow their heads and talk to their plates, and he didn't know what that was about. He just thought... Thank you, thank you for the food. I know, right? It sounds crazy. Somebody thinks that? That's weird. But it's unfortunate that, uh, that, that many people, they, they view prayer, they don't even really understand what it is, and they think, oh, I can just say these words, and out there somewhere, maybe something will happen. But prayer is so much more than that. So I want, I want us to define it. I want us to understand it. I mean, Paul is telling us. He says, to, he says to us, he says, hey, put on the armor of God. Remind yourselves of the gospel. Pick up your sword and pray. I think, I think we need to understand what he's telling us. What, what is prayer? Well, we know it's not just one-sided. Just as much as prayer is spoken or, or thought, it is heard and answered. It's communication with God. Prayer is the entwining of two realms. Us in the heavenly realm and God in ours. Think of that. Think of that. You and I get to enter the throne room of God. That's huge. And we get to recognize that God is not just in some distant throne room, but He is here with us. Listen to these quotes. One's from John Calvin in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. He wrote, prayer is the intercourse between God and men. And I know in our culture we think of weird things when we think of intercourse, and that's not my intention, but, but the reality is I wanted to use this because 
man, there's this intertwining. This this coming together that I think that that word speaks of intercourse between God and men by which having entered the upper sanctuary, they appear before Him and appeal to His promises. Paul Miller writes in a book, in his book, A Praying Life, I think one of your, one of the community groups is actually going to be going through that. Prayer is a moment of incarnation. God with us. God involved in the details of my life. You hear the two perspectives? You sense that? You, you, you recognize that? You see, we have the honor of walking into where the angels are, 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 are proclaiming holy, holy, holy. Where Jesus walked in and sat down at His right hand, we had the honor to walk into this room with God who rules sovereignly over all the universe, who has power to do whatever He wants to do. We have the honor to walk in and look at Him on His throne. And we have the assurance that we don't have to go anywhere to do it because He is here with us. You say, that's beautiful. The entwining of these two realms, us being uh, present in the heavenlies and God being present in ours. But it's more than just words. I mean, it's more than just words and wishes. It's not just like us going in and saying these words. There's attitudes behind real prayer, real true prayer. Without directing prayer at God, it's really just a wish. There's a lot of people that make wishes. In fact, I had a friend that used to go to church here that he'd say, hey, let's let's make our wishes instead of talking about prayer because he was agnostic. He didn't really believe uh, that. Or actually, I'm sorry, he was deistic. He didn't really believe that God wanted to be involved. So let's just wish for what we want to happen. Kids make birthday wishes all the time and before they blow out the candles on their cake, man, make a wish. It's not directed at anybody. Well, these wishes, they're as likely to come true as me to take a trip to the moon. I, I don't think that's probably going to happen. There's no, no reason for us to believe that these wishes will come true. There has to be an attitude of prayer that directs it towards God. You see, prayer is a demonstration of our trust in God's power and promises. Again, in his institutes, John Calvin points out that prayer is a perpetual act of faith. He goes on to say that if you won't pray, it's because you don't trust. Or if you don't pray, I don't know any of us that just refuse to pray. But if you don't pray, then you must not trust God. It demonstrates our trust in Him. John Bunyan writes, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the soul to God. It's us getting real with Him. It's us talking to Him about what's going on in ourselves and what what our perspectives are and what we're thinking and what we're experiencing. It's speaking to God. And He goes on, through Christ. You see, because we wouldn't have this position or this ability had Christ not died on the cross. In the strength and assistance of the Spirit, we wouldn't have this opportunity. We wouldn't be able to pray not properly, were it not for the Spirit. For such things as God has promised. You see, when we go to God in prayer, we can pray about all kinds of things. But real, genuine prayer is about going before Him, pouring yourself out before Him, and trusting 
trusting that he really does have your best interest in mind, that he really is for you and not against you. See, nothing says we believe that God is for us and not against us like prayer does. Oh, we can do all kinds of things. We can go and fight and make a way. We can go and do all kinds of of stuff in our own power. In fact, many of us do. We live every day with our jobs depending on them to provide our living. And we can say we believe that God's done it until we're blue in the face. But if we're not praying, I think I have to side with John Calvin. We're not really trusting him to have done it. If we're not willing to stop and say, thank you, Father, for providing this food for me. Are we really recognizing that he provided it for us? If we're not willing to stop and say, God, please provide for my daily needs. Do we really believe? You might say, oh, I believe so much I don't need to ask. I don't need to ask. I just know God's going to take care of me. then you don't believe that He has authority to command you to pray. If we won't pray, and I'm telling you, this is difficult for a doer. I've struggled with this for months now. Because God's convicted me and I've had to walk in repentance. If we won't pray, I think John Calvin's right. And while it may be one of the most difficult things to do, to, to, to learn to trust God more than I trust myself. I think it's also the one that glorifies God possibly the most. See, prayer, this leads us to the other piece of what prayer is. Prayer is an act of worship that honors God and humbles us. John Piper says prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. Do you hear that? Not some things, nothing, no things. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that He will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. That's huge. That's big. Powerful. Think on that for a minute. And when we pray, it takes our trust and it turns us, turns it away from what we can accomplish in our own strength and our own power, and it turns it towards God and what He can accomplish. When we pray, it, it, it takes our hope, our, our confident expectation for the future, and it changes it from simple wishes to confident expectation because of what He's promised He's gonna do. What He's promised for us. It takes our circumstances. And it places them in His hands. I mean, I know the circumstances of many of your lives and I know the difficulty that you've walked through. And I'm certain because this is the world we live in that there are difficulties coming. Prayer takes those circumstances and puts them squarely in His hands. Prayer takes, takes our problems and asks for His solutions. And takes our self-exaltation and it discards it for God's glorification. It's the entwining of our lives with God's. It's a demonstration of our faith and an act of worship. That's what prayer is. 
What do we do with prayer? What's Paul tell us? In this verse, he tells us when we should pray. In fact, he says pray at all times. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to walk along and bow down on your knees and pray every few feet. I mean, imagine the Christian life. If everywhere we went, we were to be bowed and praying at all times. Imagine the knocks on our noggin. I mean, imagine the bumps we'd have. That's not what he's calling us to. That's actually ludicrous. Praying always is acknowledging God's constant presence by communicating with him constantly. It's acknowledging that he is with us always. It's you just as you go, recognizing his presence with you, recognizing your opportunity to be with him by talking to him. Amy will call me from time to time from work or while I'm involved at, at doing something here or or even just sitting at home, she'll just talk to me. And I won't say anything back. And she's like, acknowledge me. I mean, I'm off in my own little world, you know, I'm doing my own thing, I've got stuff on my mind. I like to be holy and say, hey, I'm praying. She doesn't buy that. I wish she did. Acknowledge me. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but I mean, when you say something that you expect a response to or expect that you're in some level of engagement with someone else, that you expect to hear something back from them, right? I mean, imagine what it'd be like for two guys to hang out and never say a word. Well, let me say it different. Imagine what it would be like for two women to hang out and never say a word to one another. That's not going to happen, right? We know that. Because they recognize one another's presence. I, guys, we get so off in our own little world, I couldn't care less. That's all that praying all the time is. It's recognizing that everywhere you go, everything you do, God is with you 24-7, 365. There's not a moment, not a situation, not a circumstance, not an instant, not a, a breath, not 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 even the smallest of tiniest of pieces of a second that he's not there. And so you can thank God as you go along your way. You can thank God. You can thank God that he's there in the difficulty. You can thank God that he's there when things are going right. You can thank God all day long for the good things happening around you. You can thank God that good happens at all. You can ask God to be with you in the midst of the difficulty and imagine praying that God will be with you in the difficulty that you don't even know is coming yet. How much more ready would you be to face the crisis if you're already in prayer for what God's going to be doing in the crisis? In an interview, somebody asking you questions puts you on the spot. It's time to witness to somebody. You could be praying and asking God to give you words to say to give you grace in that moment. As you drive your car, you could be praying for all kinds of things. As you sit at your work, you can pray. As you eat at a restaurant, as you converse with others, you can pray. You see, prayer doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out 
time. We, we like to, to point at people. Luther was known, I think, for praying for an hour to two hours every day. We like to point at that and say, man, that's so holy. That's so awesome. And I don't want to discourage you from that. If you have that kind of prayer time, I want to encourage you to it. I, I, want, to, I want to commend you to it. I want you all to find times where you can go away and you can just pray for extended periods of time. I would love to hear stories about how, how your life in Christ was so important to you that you didn't care about anything else that was going on in pop culture and you just went home, turned off the TV and disconnected and at times just prayed. I'd love to hear those stories. I'd love to hear the testimonies that would come out of times like that. But let me tell you, if all you're doing is ever spending just chunks of time in prayer, you are missing one of the greatest blessings of the very fact that God is with you. Don't miss that blessing. Even as I stand here, I'm asking God to anoint these words, to challenge you, to, to cause them to sink to the depths of your heart. Because it's here, it's in this blessing, I think, that this is going to move us. Not just to pray sporadically, but to pray always, to communicate with Him constantly because He's always with us, to acknowledge His presence. You see, maybe, maybe one of the most relevant benefits of this in the lives of busy people, and we're only ever, we're only getting busier. We've got all these all these contraptions that help make us not so busy, and that we can we can order our lives better. But it seems like we're just getting busier and busier. Just, we just fill that time with something else, and we just never seem to have time to pray. Our busyness just crowds it out. Here's the beauty. I'm not asking you to add something else to your life. Paul's not saying add something else to the schedule that you're already struggling to maintain. He's just saying as you go, as you face the circumstances of your life, as you face the day, as you face the people that you'll encounter, be praying. Be praying. Thank you, God, for getting me to work safe. I used to think it was weird. When I was younger, I used to think it was weird that my, my grandmother and my aunts, before they would even pull out of the garage, they'd stop and they'd pray. And I thought, how silly is that? Thank you, God, that I had that example in my life. They didn't even want to leave the house. They didn't want to do anything without praying about it. Thank you, God, that I get to see and experience the, the growth and the work that you're doing in the lives of the people at the way. Thank you, God, that you have given me sons that are growing up into young men that love you and are striving to follow you. Thank you, God, for my wife who blesses me and who you've blessed me through. Thank you, God, that even in the midst of my struggle and my rebellion and my lack of, of dependence on you, you have never left me or forsaken me. Thank you, God. See, it doesn't take long to say those prayers, does it? Thank you, God, that I arrived at the church today. Thank you, God. God, would you anoint my words that they might touch the hearts of your people, that they might be driven to prayer. God, would you push aside the struggles that they face today and tomorrow and the days after that? That they, that they might know that you are with them. 
Doesn't say, it doesn't take just a second. We can be praying those prayers all day, every day, because God is with us 24-7, 365. Well, when should we pray? Pray at all times. How should we pray? Paul gives us two answers to this question, I believe. First, he says, pray in the Spirit. And I think it's unfortunate that this verse is co-opted, hijacked in a way, I guess, by charismatics that want to prove their, their doctrines of personal prayer languages or praying in tongues. And, and if I'm, I'm just, let me say this up front so that you'll listen to me and not be offended if you pray in tongues. If you pray in tongues and, 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 and you have a personal prayer language, if you believe that that's okay to do, I'm not here to dispute that at this point. I, I, I just want you to know I don't think that this verse is a good one for you to stand on. All right? It says pray at all times. So if you're praying at all times in the Spirit then you should be praying at all times in tongues, if that's your interpretation of the verse. But obviously, that's not what it means. I know people that have personal prayer languages and that pray in tongues, and they are not always praying in tongues. So I think that Paul must mean something different when he talks about praying in tongues. In fact, to add that to this verse, to interpret this verse that way, it interjects the idea of tongues in this book. Nowhere else in this letter has Paul talked about any kind of spiritual or charismatic gift other than in Ephesians chapter 4, he makes reference to the gifts that we get from the Spirit, but he gives no listing or understanding of it. So at some level, you'd have to understand from some presupposed idea that that must be what he's saying, and I don't believe that that's what Paul meant. I think you'd have to be, well, I like to say you're doing gymnastics with the Scripture because you're doing flips and twists and turns to make it say what you want. So now you can be offended by that, and I'll talk to the rest of everybody else. Look, I don't, I don't have a problem with tongues. I, th- I think it's fine. I, I think that there's a proper place for it. I think that they still exist today. I'm not a cessationist in my view. I believe that God can at any moment give us the power to speak in languages that we never have. I fully believe that. And if I can't understand you, then the biblical method should be that it's interpreted by somebody so that the people can understand. And if it's not going to be interpreted, you're just supposed to keep your mouth shut. That's what 1 Corinthians teaches us. But I don't think that this verse is a good verse, or the three or four other times that it's mentioned just in passing in Scripture is a good verse for us to build any doctrines of personal prayer languages. I think in this passage, it harkens back to the place where Paul has already spoken of the Holy Spirit. He introduced the Spirit's presence in your life when He told us to be filled with the Spirit. You remember that from Ephesians chapter 4? You remember? Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, spiritual songs and hymns, submitting your lives to one another. You remember that section where we spent all these weeks talking about what it was to submit to one another? I think this is what he's referring back to. He's calling us to pray. Not, not by our own understanding or by our own means. I believe praying in the Spirit is praying, un, praying to God under the influence and authority of God. See, I think praying in the Spirit is about us praying for what God really wants. Not about what I selfishly desire. I think praying in the Spirit is about taking and being so influenced by the Spirit of God that I'm more concerned with God's will than I am my own. And I actually have authority to ask for His will because He gave it to me by His indwelling presence. 
A.W. Pink writes, The prevailing idea seems to be that I come to God and ask Him for something that I want and that I expect Him to give me that which I have asked. I want a million dollars. Where's it at? I'll check my bank account as soon as we get done. But this is a most dishonoring and degrading conception. The popular belief reduces God to a servant, our servant. Don't be mistaken, God serves you. But He serves you according to His plan and His will. Not according to what you deem proper. Doing our bidding, performing our pleasure, granting our desires. No prayer is... No, no. Prayer is a coming to God, telling Him my need, committing my way unto the Lord and leaving it to Him to deal with as it seems best. Listen, praying in the Spirit is simply taking God's presence in me and praying for what honors Him most. Praying for what glorifies Him and doesn't doesn't meet my expectations necessarily all the time. But that's why Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul can come and he can say, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be concerned. Well, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I think I'm going to tell you this. We haven't heard a word since our team left Katigu. Katigu is a, a, a village where Jeremy uh, Newborn lives. Now, you guys have heard about the troubles that they've had all the way there, right? I mean, it's been a difficult trip. I, I know of one other team that had these kind of difficulties, but th- their difficulties have extended into their into the country. So their first stop, that took them 14 hours, like eight. It should only take about eight. It took them like six hours longer to get there. Their luggage didn't show up. They got stranded in New York. They've had nothing but trouble. And we can pray with confidence that God's protecting and providing for them. They had three hours of driving on the worst road to get to the to the, the final village, Kappa, where they're going to work for three days. And I can pray without knowing the answer with thanksgiving and not walk away worried or concerned because in the Spirit I'm praying for God's will. That's faith, brothers and sisters. That's praying in the Spirit. Asking for God to be glorified in spite of what may happen. What if we hear they had a wreck or, or they didn't make it or, or all of a sudden they were just stranded in Kedigu, right? What What happened? What could it be? We don't have to worry. Because God's with them as much as He's with us. And God loves them more than we love them. And one of them is my son, just so you get the context of what I'm saying. You see, we don't have to be concerned because as we go to God, we not only have His indwelling presence, but His indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit, is not just there listening to our prayers. He is interceding for us. He is beseeching the throne of God for us. He is calling on God to act for us. That's Romans 8, 27. Even when we don't know what to say, we don't know the circumstances, we don't know what the outcome is going to be, we can't have any kind of sense of control. Even then, we can pray with confidence because the Holy Spirit 
of God is praying to our Father, God. Then the next thing. Let me just reiterate. Praying in the Spirit is praying to God under the influence and by the authority of God. And praying. The second thing he says is also the second part of how to pray. is pray in all ways. And we can pray in all kinds of different ways. We can say all kinds of different things. That's not necessarily what he's getting at. He's, he's calling us to use the multitude of different styles of prayer that are, that are demonstrated throughout the Scripture. Listen, praying in all ways balances praise and adoration with confession and supplication. It balances all the way across. So now we're not just going to God and He's our big Santa in the sky. Hey, God, I need a million dollars. Hey, God, I need, I need a new car. Hey, God, would you make sure that this goes my way? Hey, God, I want this job. Could you give it to me? Hey, God, I, I like that. Would you? I, I, want, I want that in my house. I like that big TV. Can I have that? Hey, and for Christmas, you see, that's a Santa. In fact, if, 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 all, we come to, if all we ever do is come to God and just say, hey, well, God, I want this. It's like a kid that never eats anything but candy, Right? Just like we need a balanced diet of food, just like we need sugar and vegetables, just like we need fruit and meat, just like we need those things, we need a balanced diet of prayer. We need to come to God and pray in the ways that we know, that the, the multitude of ways that has been demonstrated in Scripture. There's at least eight demonstrated prayer of faith, Prayer of agreement, that's corporate prayer. So like when we pray together in church, that's corporate prayer. It's a prayer of agreement. Prayer of request, that's supplication, petition. Prayer of thanksgiving, thank you. Prayer of worship, you are awesome, God. Prayer of consecration, also known as dedication. We did it uh, last week before they left. We commissioned our team. We dedicated them to the Lord. We prayed over them and sent them out. Prayer of intercession. My friend is suffering. Father, would you send your spirit and comfort them? Prayer of imprecation, imprecatory prayer, prayers for justice, vengeance. The Psalms are full of those. And we don't have to go through all these all the time. It's not like we have to make sure that every one of our prayers, every, every prayer we pray is covered by these eight prayers. It's, it's the idea is, is that one moment you're praying a prayer of thanksgiving, the next moment you're praying a prayer of intercession. And maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes in those extended moments of prayer, you're praying through multiple facets of this or multiple forms of prayer, but that doesn't mean it's always got to be that way. But don't go to God just simply as your big Santa in the sky, always asking, expecting Him to do your will. Go to Him and praise Him. Go to Him and worship. Go to Him asking big things that only He could do. Go to Him. And call on Him to come and glorify Himself. Give people what they deserve. At the same time, you're asking for His mercy for those same people getting what they deserve. All of those. All of those forms of prayer, Paul says, pray this way. Balance your prayer, balance praise and adoration and confession and supplication. If we're ever one-sided, we're missing the power and benefit of prayer. And then finally, who do we pray for? He says, pray for all the saints. 
Now, I don't want you to misunderstand or think that Paul is not asking you to pray for lost people. It's not the, not the point he's making here. There's one prayer to pray for lost people. It doesn't matter if you get God to provide them a house or heal their leg or, or do whatever. I mean, I'm not saying don't pray those things. I'm just saying there's one prayer that you need to be praying for lost people, and that's that His grace intercedes in their life and awakens them to their sin that they might repent. I think that's the best and really the most needed prayer. Pray for healing. Pray for provision. But don't let your prayer for them stop there. I don't want you to think that Paul's saying you should never pray for yourself. You're one of the saints, right? Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said to to ask that God would provide our needs, that he'd forgive our sins. There's a, the reality, there's an understanding, there's an, a, nece, a necessary peace in which we should be praying for ourselves. I, I really think this is not the place we struggle, though, is it? It's easy to pray for me. It's easy for me to pray for me. When I get in trouble, you know, you know what I do? I pray for me. When I want something to go my way, you know what I do? I pray for me. It takes effort to pray for others. It takes us being so interested in them, interested enough in one another's interests that we actually know what's going on. Considerate enough of one another. There's common struggles. We dealt with this in my community group just a few weeks ago. There's common struggles across all people. We live in a world which men struggle. I'm just going to say, I hate to disappoint you. If you're if you're got a a blind eye to what your husband or boyfriend or father, what he might struggle against. But we live in a world saturated by sex and men are driven by a lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. We struggle. You don't have to, you don't, you don't even have to know if somebody's struggling with things like pornography. I'm telling you, I, I, God has, God has given me some freedoms in my life against this struggle against the lust of, of, of my eyes. But I'm going to tell you, I can't, I can't go anywhere in this culture, especially now that it's turning summer, without being on guard. I want you to pray for me. You know what? I pray for you. You know one of the most difficult things for wives to learn? Trust God enough to submit to their husbands. Remember, we dealt with that in Ephesians. You don't have to know a wife in this room personally to know that she struggles for that and she needs God's help in that. There's common struggles. There's common difficulties. We all need God to provide our food. We all need God to provide for our lives. We all need God's protection. There is a fight going on. We need it. We don't have to know specific requests. We can be praying. Praying for one another is an honor given by God in the most effective ministry we can give to one another. Should we quit bringing meals to new parents? No. Keep doing that. Should we quit putting together church services so we can bless one another? Should we quit doing hospitality? Should we quit? Um, should, should, should I quit preparing sermons and just pray? Should, should we just come together and never consider one another's needs at all? Physical needs. Man, are you going to be able to pay your, I heard you're out of a job. Can you, are you going to be able to pay your house payment? Are you going to be able to pay your utility bill? Should we quit being concerned about that? Absolutely not. 
But if all we're concerned about is the physical and we're not bringing in the spiritual, we're not blessing our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ the way we can. You see, we need to be undergirding what we do for one another with prayers for one another. So as we close today, I want to close right where we started at. I want to pray. So let's bow our heads. Push out the, the, the things that are striving to take your attention. And just get before God. Step into His throne room, as it were. Acknowledge that He's sitting here with you. I want you to thank God for His gift of prayer. I want, you, I want you to praise Him for desiring to be involved in your life. Do you, you get that? He wants to be there. I want you to confess where necessary. And if necessary, I want you to repent of your lack of prayer, your lack of faith. And I want you to pray for those sitting around you. That together, we will be a people who are moved to prayer at all times, in all ways, for each other. And Father, I'm confident, I know, I'm certain that you hear the prayers of your people. Answer them as you see fit. Thank you. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.